Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, as my pretty bride likes me to say, but how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded and a time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe, those willing to be uncertain for an hour. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, my partner Ravinder is here in the studio with me, so I'll have her say hello and share some of her special, you know what, uh, excitement for the day and tell you all about where you can learn more about our show. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Um, of course, our shows are always exciting, and uh, actually, with the days getting warmer, I find lots to be excited about so if you're confined in the house you know try and get some sun maybe open up the window get some fresh air you'll be surprised how much better you feel um if you want to learn more about the radio show you know we have the provocative enlightenment website that you can go to and you can get all the archives and everything there or um if you want to have you know, contribute your comments while we're on the air. We also have a Facebook page for Provocative Enlightenment. Just do a search for Provocative Enlightenment and you will find us there. If there's any information that gets shared um, during the, the show, then I'll be sure to post those links right there as well. So. All right. In this week's spotlight, I want to suggest that you don't have to win in order to win. Now, what do I mean by that? Vince Lombardi once stated, the price of success is hard work, dedication to the job at hand, and the determination that whether we win or lose, we have applied the best of ourselves to the task at hand. I want to suggest that sometimes doing our best is all about the outcome we seek. We live at a time when it seems there is no limit to the varieties of truth one might encounter as they travel around the world. That said, we might not even have to leave our nuclear family to discover that there are vast differences between the way we see the world and the way those around us interpret it. One obvious example of that today can be found in the world of politics. The divide there seems to be over almost everything, and people on both sides can be extremely vociferous, if not downright venomous, if you disagree with them. I have a live example of that over the weekend when I posted yeah, my fan page on Facebook, a cute little saying about, you know, the way we can avoid uh, uh, corona is to mask up. I understand masking up can be controversial, but the comments that came as a result of that were unbelievable, insulting and personal. And, and, and what I posted was humor. You saw the post, Ravinder. What did you take from that? I did. I, I was totally surprised, totally flabbergasted, actually. Um, 
because yeah it was a humorous post and you know if you if you like moss or you don't like moss big deal it just seems so obvious to me that having a barrier of any kind is going to offer some protection but some of the responses people took that as you know indicative of everything else that we talk about so people are unfriending and people are refusing to use inner talk programs and it was like what are you serious where where is the world going so yeah there's my advice to everyone today hang loose you know, no, be I, easy. It's I okay. It because our governor has now ordered it in the state of Washington on Friday. And, you know, I don't like wearing a mask, but I'll certainly wear a mask to protect anyone. Uh, I will do it for the people that I care about. I will do it for the strange old woman down the street, though I haven't ever spoken to. I will do what I can to protect whoever. Okay, so I want to express a truism that is worth remembering. When someone angers you, they control you. Think about that. We can become little puppets of someone else when we allow anyone to take control of our emotions. I like to think of myself as an outcome-oriented guy. That given, there have been instances where disagreements have reached such a pinnacle of frustration or anger that I have said things that I truly regret. I wish I could take them back, but as we've learned, words said are arrows that have left the bow. You can only hope they miss the mark. When they don't, apologies may help, but they never remove the full sting. Undeniably obvious is the fact that at times like this, I have not been in control. I've allowed someone else to pull my string. Like maybe some of those folks that saw the face max post. There is a practice in the 12-step program that deals with resignation or surrender. When you surrender, another no longer controls you. There are circumstances that I have learned where surrender in situations of disagreement is the best policy. Indeed, I think when you evaluate the long-term outcome of some arguments, especially with friends and family and those close, but probably with most, the only way you can win the outcome is if you seek to surrender. You don't have to win to win. If your long-term outlook is to strengthen your relationships, to learn to dialogue, to share, then sometimes backing off is the best way. That is, if you seek a strong relationship with anyone, tearing it down with argument and anger certainly will not make that happen. I have a wonderful family that I love very much, just like so many of you. My family does not always agree with my political views. In the past, we have had some bitter disagreements. What did I gain from that? The fact is, none of us have gained even if we won the argument. I have adopted the surrender strategy, and you'd be amazed at the difference it has made. If you take the long view and seek to improve yourself and your life, moderate your emotions and well-being, control some of those brain chemicals, optimize the operation of your autonomic nervous system and therefore your health, 
your endocrine and your immune system, then you must realize that winning a nasty argument is really a loss. This is true of many other areas in our lives. Sometimes it is appropriate and necessary to speak up. But if speaking up begins to become one of those nasty engagements, an emphasis there is on the word nasty, it's time to surrender and walk away. Why? Because you will not truly win anything. Winning in these scenarios is impossible. Someone will be hurt, and hurting another inflicts pain in many ways upon all of us. So speak up if necessary, but let it go if it's only going to go downhill. You are not likely to change any minds when nastiness enters the communication. Whenever you engage in anything, ask yourself, what is the long view? What is my objective? Aim for the objective and let anything that would destroy the possibility of achieving that objective go. Surrender can therefore be a tactical way to strategically accomplish our long view. For myself, I still present facts and information as I see it, but I refuse to allow someone else to trigger me. For after all, relationships can be as critical to our health and happiness as anything else. Those are my thoughts. What are yours, Ravinder? I think you've hit on a really important topic today. Um, yeah, people don't seem able to communicate anymore. So, yeah, I would say exactly the same thing. You know, you want to speak up. You want to speak your truth. Don't be afraid of that, but keep the nastiness out of it and try and focus on what the objective is you know the point is to have good relationships uh, good family you know good communications you have to respect other people have different viewpoints and not everyone's going to see the world the same as you do um, so yeah just trust that everyone's got you know higher intentions in mind and if you disagree you disagree and let it go you know, for what it's worth, I, I personally also found that when you just back off and let that rant go, then the person the, on, on the other end of it is, is more willing to listen. Absolutely. That's a big one. When you let somebody else talk, when you hear them out, you know, even if what they're saying is absolutely crazy, when you give them the respect of hearing them out, they're a whole lot more likely to hear you. Otherwise, if you don't hear them out, then you're just talking on top of each other and it goes nowhere. All right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Our last show featured Professor Joel Weinberger, and we discussed his work and book, The Unconscious. Shasta wrote, I loved your guest. He is so brilliant and articulate. I bought his book. Thank you for the show. William wrote, one day people will get it and realize that their unconscious is behind their every self-destructive act. I like that comment. Mm -hmm. Moving on. Jelly wrote, your Intertalk CD, Forgive and Let Go, was of tremendous help to me and my clients. I, have, I had to forgive my mother at age 10 started psychoanalyzing and became a therapist. Your work is much appreciated. And Roseline wrote, Thank you for the Intertalk programs. All I can say is the divine power somehow led me to your site when I was looking for a solution on personal challenges that have hampered my growth for many years 
And after buying the first product, I experienced change and been buying several since then. Well, thank you for your feedback. We do really appreciate it, Roseline. We appreciate all of your letters, so please do keep them coming. You can opine by sending your email to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. Now to today's show, Reality Shifts with author Dr. Cynthia Larson. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. Cynthia Sue Larson is the best-selling author of several books, including Quantum Jumps, Reality Shifts, and High Energy Money. She has a degree in physics from UC Berkeley, an MBA degree, and a Doctor of Divinity degree. She has been featured in numerous shows, including Gaia, the History Channel, Coast to Coast AM, One World with Deepak Chopra, and BBC. Cynthia is the founder of Reality Shifters and is president of the International Mandela Effect Conference. So on that, let's get her in. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Cynthia Sue Larson. Hello, Eldon. Such a pleasure to be with you today. Well, that's good. We're, we're, we're looking forward to this. We like to know three things on this show, Cynthia. Who is the guest? What is their message? And, of course, how do we use it? To that end, tell us how you became involved in reality shifting. Uh, this is through the awareness that apparently uh, we can witness alternate histories. And I started recognizing as I saw literal changes to physical objects and like statues, a sundial sculpture, huge and concrete that my friends and I witnessed appear as if it had always been there. But we had walked right through the plaza that it currently sits in for months, actually like a year or two before it just showed up one day. So these kinds of changes to our history, the way that our memory is different than what's actually so-called the fact right now, is showing us that um, there's a possibility that these things, these reality shifts, these Mandela effects, could be inviting us to take a look at perhaps we might be the cause. All right. I want I want to get to the reality shifting. That is most interesting. But first, you're in the spotlight today, Cynthia. One of the premises you offer in your material is the idea of being more agreeable. So what are your thoughts on today's spotlight? Oh, you mean the issue about the masks and all yeah. the... Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, just whether or not, you know, maybe backing away from some of yes. these conflicts isn't the best strategy. Absolutely. I, I believe, um, I love what you say about surrender, because it does take us into that realm of divine possibility where all the options are open to us. It's the realm of quantum physics where everything opens up and as Stephen Hawking once said quantum physics forbids a single history and also we've learned just last year from research in quantum laboratories that there is no such thing as objective reality when you put these two ideas together then just wisely as you were pointing out there's nothing to be gained from taking any rigid stance and insisting that one truth should be um you know, agreed upon by all. Now, I understand some people are upset about the mask situation, but when your governor requests kindly and in a respectful manner that this is for our safety, when we look back at the pandemic that happened with the Spanish flu about 100 years ago, they were wearing masks, 
and we have um, a lower death rate so far, hope it stays that way, than we did 100 years ago. So things are going pretty well. And I, I agree with you. Let's just simmer down. Let's not get all agitated about what this may or may not mean. You, you, you know, make a lot of appearances. You interact with a lot of people. Uh, you, you, politics has always been a subject that could, you know, lead to heated disagreements. But nothing in my lifetime begins to compare with a hardcore animus that can arise between you know, otherwise civil people. Why do you think that is so today? Oh, wow. Well, this gets into my my favorite view of consciousness, which comes from our philosopher, um, Wilhelm, um, Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz. And he, he basically said that there are levels of perception, that when you first sense something with your senses, that's the first order perception. And then our typical everyday consciousness would be, a reflective perception of that. And that's usually where things stop for most people. What I love about your work, getting into the subconscious, it's brilliant. And what I notice with the Mandela effect and reality shifts is we are capable as human beings to take one more step back, to do one more level of one third level of order perception back and recognize, um, like you point out, that the subconscious could be driving things. That's a level of self-awareness that is so pivotal at these times. It's also important to not get trapped in a victim mindset or to think that they are doing something to us, that there's some persecutor out there. But for a lot of people, they they sort of stop right there in that drama triangle and have this very clear impression that there is somebody out to get them. They feel victimized, therefore it's them, and they point fingers. And it's very easy for this to spin out of control. So I would recommend... Let's always remember to take one more step back. If you're feeling like, oh, they did this to me, someone's a victim, whether it's you or someone else, just take a moment, take a deep breath, take one more step back. Do you think it's possible that because uh, of an arching uh, or elevated, I should say, um, level of stimulus that... uh, that we're all in, you know, faced with the day in our 24-7 news. I mean, everything has to be controversial. Everything is in our entertainment is sex and violence. And, you know, and, and we see more and more of that. And it systematically desensitizes, you know, our, our threshold of arousal. So it requires still more tomorrow than it did today in order to arouse us. And without the arousal, of course, we're not interested in whatever the media has to say. Do you think that this pattern of increasing stimulus has anything to do or is connected at all to the level of, of aggression that we see in our society today, verbal and otherwise? Oh, yes, absolutely. But on the on the bright side, if you flip that, look at the silver lining that we've also noticed in the last I think 10 years that the we've hit a tipping point in the United States of America with like 10% of the populace now meditating on a regular basis. And I would include the work that you do as well in that, that people are recognizing that they can work with tools that they didn't know about. They can look within instead of look outside or in the TV or the day's news. Because you know and I know, and Revender I'm sure knows, that when you start meditating regularly, it's a lot harder to get pulled into that that daily fix for that, um, what did they do now? We're not caught up in that drama simply because we are taking that one more step back. 
Amen. That's a very good point, and that is a wonderful antidote. Okay, although the show is about reality shifting, which I'll get to, your questions in a moment, first I want to begin with your book, Quantum Jumps. The two books, in my view, are linked. So please unpack for us what you mean by a quantum jump and the new science of instant transformation based on, quote, the radical paradigm that we exist in an interconnected holographic multiverse, close quote. Yes. Well, basically, uh, the Quantum Jumps book shows that anyone is capable of making conscious shifts. And what I mean by a conscious conscious shift is literally uh, a big change in suddenly feeling smarter, stronger, better connected with people you love, better um, able to basically do all sorts of things. Um, It's not like you get superpowers and you're flying over a building in a single jump, but but almost, <laughs> because it, it basically gives us the ability to tap into the power of the placebo, uh, which has been getting much stronger in recent years. It gives us the ability to make a connection to other possible selves that we may not recognize we even have that are much more competent, uh, such as becoming a very talented hairdresser in this pandemic so you don't have to see the hairstylist. You just suddenly know how to use all the colors, that kind of thing. So these things can be quite useful. Okay. So now are you using the word quantum jumps in a um, analogical way to talk about human behavior or are you using it as a physicist talking about physical matter or time space? Good question. Well, I do start off with the physics. I do have a degree in physics, but I and I recognize that where I go next is may not be where most physicists would publicly go. Privately, there are a growing number that would go with me, however. Um, but it starts with the quantum jumps idea from physics, and that would be a very palpable, um, vi- visceral kind of thing that uh, that's capable. We can now see a quantum jump with our own physical eyes. That that was first reported in the New York Times. In 1986, when there were some scientists at the University of Washington, actually, and they were excited to first witness these quantum particles just uh, blinking on and off, showing that they were making a quantum jump, that they're first in one place, and then it's like they teleport to another. And this was witnessed with the human eye. So a lot of people believe like they're not going to trust quantum physics till they can see it. Well, you can actually see these things. So that's the physics description, which is pretty magical right there. But then I take it to that next place, as you say, the psychological aspects of it, the physiological aspects for things like spontaneous remission of disease. Um, All sorts of things are possible with these quantum jumps. So, I mean, just I want to make sure I get this right, Cynthia. Are you saying that some, at least, of these instantaneous or miraculous cures, instantaneous healings of, uh, you know, particularly bad diseases like cancer, they're the result of some movement in time-space, some quantum physical movement? I would say that makes the most sense to me based on what you might call miraculous spontaneous remissions of disease that I've witnessed, uh, such as my grandmother's uh, liver cancer, where she was just given a few months to live and then 
surprisingly, it, her liver cancer was completely cured uh, with no medical interaction taking place. There was no chemotherapy, no surgery, just a lot of prayer because she was a very spiritual woman and there were lots of, she had hundreds of spiritual friends. And then there's me, I, I also was praying for her. So whether you believe in prayer or not, some people say like, well, they're not religious, that's okay. It really just requires tapping into uh, an idea of what I would call a, a very benevolent sense of love and a sense of perhaps a greater good concept. So even if you don't go to God and you just ask my favorite question, how good can it get? That will take you to pretty much the same place of tremendous love and tremendous spontaneous remissions and miracles. So if I'm getting you right, a shift in your consciousness for all intent and purposes is what it takes to make a shift in time-space. That's right. And as you know, and I, I, I love your work so much because the, the thing people usually get hung up on is they think if they've just got it in their head that they're good to go. And you and I both know that they've overlooked a huge <laughs> and very critical component here, which is the subconscious. So thank God for your work, because um, without it, I think a lot of people would not recognize that they're kind of, they can get tangled up. They can have this vision board, and, and they've got their mantras, and they're very, they think they're just so clear and ready to go with what they're visualizing. They're just going to force it to happen. But they haven't factored in the other aspects of their cognitive body, which is their heart, their subconscious especially. The subconscious sets everything in play. Pretty much we always get whatever our subconscious requires. That, that, that shows us where we're going. It sets our course for sure. I'd, I'd love to see that bottled, that concept bottled. I'd love to see it, you know, time to write the screenplay so we see a new television series where, you know, some magic device and you've shifted your brain, your your, your mental consciousness, and you're off into a, a different, what, parallel universe, I guess, because everybody in that, I don't know. <laughs> we'll We'll discuss more about this when we get back from the break. We're speaking with Cynthia Sue Larson about her work and book, Reality Shifts. If you can learn more about our guest, you do so by going to her website at realityshifters.com. All right, please do stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Alvin Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Cynthia Sue Larson about her work and book, Reality Shifts. You can learn more about our guest by visiting her website at Reality Shifters. That's one word. RealityShifters.com. All right. Every week we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some real meaning to them. By now you all know that music psychology is an interest of mine. It is a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. Your chosen music, Cynthia, is That's the Way It Is by Celine Dion. 
So please tell us, why is this music important to you? And how does it inform us about who you are? Oh, such good questions. <laughs> and it goes pretty deep, I'm sure. You know, when when I pick a favorite song, or at least when I do, it, it goes to my core of being. So it's bypassing my conscious filters. And I just have this feeling that it's got so much of an uplifting quality. You know, I'd completely forgotten that you'd asked me to give my favorite song an artist. I was so busy with that conference last week. So you played that song and I'm listening to it and I thought, wow, it's my favorite song. I love this. <laughs> so it's so funny. Uh, so you caught me off guard and surprised me. And I, I think there's just the joy, the optimism, that feeling that, especially in these pandemic times, most of us, are facing challenges that we never thought we would have to deal with. I think that's true of every single person who's listening, regardless of what's going on. And this song, to me, it reminds us to just recognize that there is something greater than all of that. And it is that that power of love that, that you know, it's just that you can you can connect to it. We all can. It's there for all of us. Fair enough. All right. What are reality shifts. Unpack that for us with some specificity, please. Okay. Well, I think in order to understand it, it's it's a strange concept, but it's I'll start with something that everybody has encountered and they you may dismiss it and say, "Well, that's not a reality shift." But just keep your mind open. So, you might have noticed in your daily life that it seems like objects are kind of moving around by themselves. Like your keys might not be where you put them. Um, you might notice that your wallet is in a different place. Maybe you're seeing socks vanishing out of the laundry. All these things involving objects that appear, disappear. And sometimes they transform. Sometimes they transport. It's like they teleported. And these are the beginnings of the kind of reality shifts that a lot of people notice. It's the, These are kind of the everyday ones where you just think, wow, I'm confused. I, I looked here. I know I was looking here just a second ago. My keys were not here. Now they are. Oh, well, I must be getting advanced, early advanced Alzheimer's or something. Uh, what I'm suggesting is you're not necessarily getting Alzheimer's. Hopefully not. Um, hopefully <laughs> it's just a situation where you, you actually are encountering these examples of this quantum consciousness at work. Um, that's one possible explanation. Other people have other theories, but that's kind of my go-to is that we're witnessing very interesting um, quantum behavior on a much larger scale than people would normally expect to see it. Things like um, this teleportation, for example. Um, objects sort of flip-flopping back and forth, being in a superposition of states, um, these kinds of things. So reality shifts are just these interesting situations where you might just think it's one of those things, but actually there are some really significant insights that can come from taking a closer look at this entire phenomenon. Okay. Now, you know, the doubting Thomas and me is forced to ask this question, Cynthia. Have you run a study? Have you put a, you know, a wallet in a box and it's disappeared? Have you set, you know, keys down on a desk and videotaped them and they've somehow moved across the room? Or is this just conjecture? 
Oh, well, it's based on what you'd call direct experience, what, what doctors call case studies. So it's not so much replicable, per se, when you're dealing with individual case studies. And that's what I've specialized in the last 20 plus years is documenting firsthand reports from experiencers of reality shifts all around the world. And that's how I've um, been able to then conduct surveys of those experiencers, which are basically self-reports from people indicating that they are noticing synchronicities and coincidences. They are witnessing things going missing. Um, and and we're, not, we're talking pretty big percentages of people here. I've run the survey twice, once in 2000, again in 2013. And in fact, in some of these areas, the percentage of respondents, and it's like four or 500 people responding, so it's quite statistically significant. Uh, and surprisingly, some of these things are going up, um, such as witnessing people and animals being healed after meditation or prayer. That's gone up from 54% of the respondents saying that was true in the year 2000, all the way up to 62% um, just in 2013. And I'm sure it's still going up. So th th I find these findings quite interesting. Um, but some of them are just downright bizarre, too. It's like... Uh, Things being transformed, for instance, a coat suddenly being ripstop nylon, which I describe in my book, Reality Shifts. And sometimes noticing celebrities are alive again, that you're certain you saw all kinds of news about their death. Those are the kind of weird ones. Okay, now there's a difference between coincidence and synchronicity uh, and what, what you're terming, you know, reality shifts or quantum jumps. And so uh, flesh out for me this questionnaire. I mean, does the questionnaire conflate everything? Does it? Have you seen anything like healing animals and, and uh, items missing? Or are your questionnaires very specific? I mean, I guess that's what I'm asking. I'm trying to get a grip on the data that you're giving me in a meaningful way, please. Well, you've got a good point about the question of synchronicity and coincidence. That was conflated. Those were combined in one particular question. And to run the survey again and get better data, it would make sense to separate the two. Because, and also because the responses, when you could combine the two, I was getting 95% of the people saying, yep, they've noticed synchronicity and coincidences. So good point on that one. In the case of the others, they were pretty much broken down based on some of the preliminary findings I'd already seen by the year 2000. Remember, I'd been tracking this for a number of years before the year 2000. So even though now the Mandela effect is considered a new phenomenon, I've, I've been looking into this for quite some time before it became popularized. And I think now we've got a lot more um, interest in this overall topic than we've ever had in the history of humanity, thanks to the internet. Um, but, but good point well taken about synchronicity and coincidence. The other areas were broken down a bit better, although I combined people and animals being healed after prayer or intercessory uh, meditation of some sort. Time was included altogether as slowing down, stopping, and speeding up. And I think each of these categories really could be broken down because some people notice different sorts of uh, phenomena. I, I've noticed so many. I think it's thanks to being interested in the topic. So I tend to get a smorgasbord of all sorts of things. But I, I like your your take on it, and it's very helpful to going forward with the research. Be much more specific. 
Ravinder is going to love the one on time. She is forever telling me that my time and her time run at different speeds. Isn't that right, Rav? Actually, I hadn't thought about that one, but you are correct. I mean, you do manage to do in five minutes what can take me a few hours sometimes. I mean, the, we, we've done projects together before, and we can, I, we can spend an entire day working on something, and it takes me the entire day to do one little aspect, and you do everything else. So perhaps you do just exist in a different... Well, the, what comes to my mind is I'll say, how long? And, and you'll say 15 minutes. And I'll come back in 15 minutes, and you'll say, it hasn't been 15 minutes, it's only been five. But I can look at the clock and see that, all right, so Cynthia, is that time distortion? How common is that between couples? That is actually much more common than people realize. I'm glad you brought it up, because I I bet right now people are nodding. They're listening like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh, because we've all had those friends where you, you have to invite them quite a bit earlier than the actual event, back when we had events, you know, thinking back to before the shelter in place. And uh, I, I had a friend, in, one in particular, who I dearly loved, but I'd have to give him a completely different time frame than everyone else. And it was sort of like a secret, like, okay, as far as John is concerned, we're meeting at 10 o'clock, but the rest of you, it's noon. Like, okay, good. Because <laughs> we just knew he's going to show up like two hours late. <laughs> and everybody loves him. And that way he'd show up on time. And it was just like a happy uh, experience. But I love I love where you're going with it because even in that brilliant example that you can say 15 minutes and that passage of time runs differently. Um, that points out that time is very subjective and it has a quantum component to it as well as um, it can be affected by gravitation as well. So you could say that if you're if you're much more above, uh, sort of if you're flying at a higher um, <laughs> distance from something heavy, in other words, if you're not quite so gravitationally influenced, time would go faster for you. So I don't know about you, Eldon, but maybe... Maybe you are in some way flying above it all, and Ravender is more down to earth. So for her, it, the time is going the way all the clocks are showing, and for you, it's like um, it's totally different. Uh, Cynthia, how how can you know for sure that you're experiencing a reality shift, and not maybe a memory loss or just you know you get wrapped up in your head and you think it's five minutes when it's really been 15 yeah that's tough uh, because in some of these cases there's no corroborating physical evidence of any kind other than your own memory so and we know that if you start trusting crazy memories that that's not good Um, what i'm suggesting is take a look just pay attention to the possibility that you might be experiencing reality shifts and now they're also known as Mandela effects. So you can, if you are experiencing it, you can find community now, either through my website or lots of social media sites. But the thing to look for is just, um, do you have any anchor memories? D- did something happen where you feel like, well, that for sure did happen? So therefore, uh, you can kind of logic it to logic it out, figure it out. Um, this must have be what really did happen. But it's tricky. I, I can't deny that. Sometimes, um, I think one of the strongest indicators for me also, although it doesn't happen that often, is a flip-flop where you'll see something in one state and, and then it goes to another. 
and it goes back again. If you see things moving on their own like that or going back and forth between one state to another, then that's a pretty clear indicator. Something is definitely going on. You know, I wish I'd have known about this when I was a kid. I mean, I just I imagine, you know, young men out there and they're they, they so they, you know, dad says, what happened to the five dollar bill I had on the table? I don't know, dad. It must have been a reality shift. Quantum jump. <laughs> put it, you know. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, my kids knew about this, but they didn't take advantage of it that way. Um, bless their hearts. You know, they didn't abuse that. Well, instead, what what we'd use it for is when they lost something. Kids are so good at this. We would just say, "Hope for a reality shift," and they'd make a game out of it. They'd sing it in a cheerful state, like a song. Hope for a reality shift. When they lost their favorite shoes or their favorite juice cup or something, something s- small but meaningful to them. And sure enough, it w- the item would usually pop back in in some bizarre place, like shoes on top of my daughter's pillow, up on top of the top bunk. We never put shoes on top of the top bunk, let alone on top of the pillow. Um, you know, things like that happen, and it's, it makes it fun. Kids are great at this sort of thing. Okay, so now... When we look at the causation behind all of this, um, you, you have somebody and their keys never disappear. Their wallet never disappears. You know, they, they're not missing anything. Uh, what, what's going on with that person? Is there some reason that it doesn't happen to them? Yes, uh, I would. Yes, there is. And I would look to quantum physics again for this answer. Some people are really good at locking in um, kind of a given state. There's something known as the quantum Zeno effect. And it, what it means is that frequent observations, um, so someone who's very methodical, someone who has a complete system, and they just check, check, check all the time. Like this is where I put everything in its place. Everything has a place and everything in its place. Um, those people especially if they're very um, just checking those things, they're not likely, as likely, to see any kind of um, reality shift. The same is true for subject matter experts like medical doctors. If you mention to them the Mandela effect about physical changes to our bodily organs, most likely they'll say nothing has changed for them because in their subject matter expertise, their quantum xeno um, locking it in. It's like the watched pot never boils. This is a real quantum physics um, thing. It's quite real. So the quantum Zeno effect means that you can lock a quantum system into a given state by just constantly observing it in that state. And it acts like a lock. Um, You pretty much can't break through because the observer just keeps checking, 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 checking. Like it's there, it's there, it's there. And so there are people that think that way and they they kind of hold things pretty much where they are. All right. Now, I've got to play devil's advocate, Cynthia. Please forgive me, but I'm surrounded by physicists. My son is a physicist, graduated from the University of Washington, and they hear this kind of talk about quantum jumps and quantum shifts having to do with everyday items, keys and wallets, not some quantum level or quanta. Um, and they just say that's just nonsense, hooey pooey. To that, what do you say, Cynthia? I can certainly understand that um, 
you know, being into that paradigm of subjective reality. But what I would refer the physicists to is to take a look at the fact, as I mentioned briefly earlier, Stephen Hawking did point out that quantum physics forbids a, a single history. And physicists might think that that's just in theory only, that we'll never see any actual evidence of these other histories. I recommend keep an open mind on that one. Secondly, the biggest news stories of 2019 should have made the front page of every newspaper. I don't think it did, but it was the research work in a quantum physics laboratory, a collaborative effort between physicists at the University of Edinburgh, Scotland, in collaboration with physicists at Vienna, Austria. And what they did is they took that famous double-slit experiment with two observational devices and proved without any doubt that those two observational devices at the same place, same time, picked up two absolutely different measurements. Those are both trusted devices, and what that's doing to our notion of objective reality is pretty much blowing it apart. We already know that many of our assumptions for the way we do science, the way we've been doing science for hundreds of years, is already out of date and is proven out of date by quantum physics. We can't assume objectivity anymore. We can't assume that we won't see macroscopic effects uh, driven by quantum physics. Now that we're building technologies such as quantum computers, uh, you're going to see more and more of these kinds of experiments, and you're going to get more and more real proof that even physicists are going to have to uh, recognize, like, well, there's something going on here. It's no longer just um, quantum physics stays in the quantum so-called realm. There is no quantum realm. You know, it, Quantum physics can absolutely affect everything, and quantum physics is very much involved with consciousness. So are you saying that this uh, experiment, uh, the wave particle duality, that it caught simultaneously a wave and a particle from two from the two different uh, observation points? Yes, that's correct. This is a reproducible experiment, so I'm expecting we'll see further versions of this experiment as well as replications of it. So I, I think it's very exciting uh, for people like myself that are, of course, noticing that the physical reality can and does seem to change. And so far, all we've got to show for it is our own memories. Usually there's not much else um, other than sketches and people doing some artwork to remember how things used to be. Uh, but we just had a whole con conference about it. and We plan to be doing more research in this area. I, I, I'm forced to ask you, I mean, there is what you're suggesting also suggests that we were living in a, a form of multiverse, parallel universes or however you want to see that. Is that correct? Is that your observation? It's yes, it's it would be my observation that it, it appears that we're living in something very much like a holographic multiverse, which is what I show a art, artist's rendering of on the cover of Quantum Jumps, uh, just that it's possible to jump through a wormhole from one universe of possibility to another, and that, that we're able to travel this way via consciousness, which apparently is our actual identity. So these are, we're taking some leaps here, and there's no proof yet of which quantum interpretation is correct at the university of washington you've got one of my fav favorite living physicists 
who was the father of the transactional interpretation. That's John Kramer, and I've interviewed him on my podcast, Living the Quantum Dream. He's brilliant, and he did write a book about his theory, transactional interpretation. So that's one of the interpretations, and that's that handshake from the future to the present or to the past. And I do believe that there's a huge aspect of that involved in what we're witnessing as well. Okay, so consciousness and matter, what's the relationship Oh, well, it's this is a hard thing to sum up at the you know, we just got a couple minutes left. <laughs> that could be a whole show. It's like, wow. Um, I don't think it's easy to summarize the connection to, between those two because uh, it's just gonna it's, it's too much too many concepts to be um, brought out to cover all of that ground. I think just basically, I would just go to what Max Planck said. He's considered the father of quantum physics, and basically he's the one who had a brilliant quote that you can't get behind consciousness. Consciousness is actually at the source of everything that exists. And that was his approach to bringing those two ideas together of matter and consciousness. That consciousness is fundamental. So, I guess I'd go there. But it's other than that, it's very difficult to... Um, delve properly into it our audience is just going to have to read your book check out your podcast go to your website take uh 30 seconds uh, and, and let everybody know how they can learn more about you get your books and so forth yes my website is realityshifters.com and there you can see how to subscribe to my monthly newsletter where i can keep you informed about uh interviews like this one as well as uh, first-hand reports of reality shifts and events such as the International Mandela Effect Conference that we just had last week with 14 speakers and our keynote, Regina Meredith. Well, thank you, Cynthia. I want to thank you for your work. Three great books. Uh, go out and get them. Reality Shifts, that's the book we've been talking about today. My favorite was Quantum Jumps. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, and we'll join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com. <laughs>